0: Hello, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 25th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program offers a means for getting us through the last four weeks, the last four years, and most definitely the last 400 years. For today's show, Adam Smyre will open up on the exercise at the 59th presidential inauguration. Let me introduce him now. Adam Smyre is a writer and attorney. His most recent book entitled, You Can Keep That to Yourself, a comprehensive list of what not to say to black people for well-intentioned people of pallor. It's a pithy and essential guide that I've been sharing and referring to quite a bit since I had a chance to interview him last fall when this rolled out. Adam practiced law at a top 10 firm and various public entities all while building quite a writing career for the last almost 15 years now. He's contributed to the Johannesburg Review of Books, and his debut novel, Knucklehead, was the sole title shortlisted for the 2018 Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence. He comes to us today from the Bay Area. Welcome to Digging Out, Adam Smyre.
1: Thank you, Claudia. That was a wonderful introduction. I can't wait to listen to that guy talk.
0: Oh, I can't either. That's why you're here, because I knew I wanted to chew on what I call the pageant, the presidential inauguration. And when I thought of it, you're the top of this. I don't think I asked anybody after I asked you, and you were kind enough to agree to do this. With, With your precision of your insight, your craft, and all your experience, I wanted to tap you for this. So I use the word pageant. What terms do you use to capture what an American presidential inauguration is? Well, that's a
1: compound question because I feel like over time, inaugurations have been one thing and this one might've been something slightly different. I did not want this to happen. I was ready to be traumatized by what I was about to see. You know, I'll ask older people, what was the sixties like? And I want them to tell me about the time they, they dropped acid and saw Hendrix, and all they talk about is the assassinations. And I still remember when barack and michelle got out of the car and walked down the street i was like i'm something's about to happen that i'll never forget and you know in light of the event so a couple of weeks ago i was hoping that would be virtual maybe in a bunker somewhere but the morning of i got it the morning of and when i saw the layout i was like no i i get it we are imposing normalcy we're going to function we're going to move forward like the country that this is And maybe it was a little foolhardy, but I was on board by the time it it got going. I watched the whole thing and I was impressed. I don't know how granularly I can break it down, but I thought it was an effective statement. And I guess that's what it is. That's why this one felt different. It felt like more of a statement than others. Others are just, you know, wrote. This one was obviously significant because a lot of people really didn't want it to happen.
0: Well, you know, Adam, what I noticed, and I, I think you will too, I'm not an exception on this, but it had every bit the sound of everybody who contributed in word and in song that they had prepared their pieces. And then post-January 6th, they did a lot of revising they, or they put more underlining in some of the words conveyed or sung.
1: Yeah, Probably. I, I certainly didn't think that anything was obsolete or dated as of, you know, a week ago b- because of the events. So people must have pivoted. It struck me as a more effective version of what Congress tried to do right after 9-11, where they all stood on the steps that night and saying, God bless America, that, that was hastily put together. And, and so I understand that the execution was underwhelming, but the sentiment, I was reminded of the sentiment. And yeah, j took her opportunities. And uh, is it Amanda Gorman, the Poet Laureate? Yes. So, yeah. He's going to be,
0: we're going to spend a lot of time on Amanda, with your permission.
1: Oh, obviously she stole the show. Yeah. Oh, I so, suppose the, the president and vice president probably uh, also put in a, a proper showing, but but Amanda, you know. <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, shall we look at it in terms of the words or the optics? What, what are the most searing in your memory?
1: You know, OK, as far as large political gestures, one of my books that, that you mentioned, Keep That to Yourself, has, I guess you could say, to do with the limitations of such gestures. So I'm not really moved by optics. That said, there were two things that Joe did. One was that he called out white supremacy during his inaugural address, which has to be a first. It was, uh, yep. it, Yeah, had to, had to be a first somehow in the history of this country. And I loved your introduction about the 400 years. And somehow over the course of the last 200 and change, no one bothered to mention white supremacy. So that, that I thought was such a significant gesture that it almost rose beyond that because he was laying out his agenda. But the most touching moment for me was just before Joe and Jill stepped outside when they were still indoors, walking down that long carpeted passage with the Marines on either side. Joe turned and looked at Jill like, isn't this great? She was looking straight ahead, but he was there with her. He was, it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been any fun for him without her. And he was just digging it with Jill. And I just loved that so much.
0: Wow. Yeah. A good point. And from what we know about his losses in his life, and I mean, I, that's what I kept thinking of is that all those thresholds of grief that families crossed. And so it's sort of like the making a, you know, a large accomplishment. That accomplishment was, they didn't get all to the finish line together. So, and so there maybe was a charged moment for him, a giddy, a grieving, uh, glad, uh, anticipate. It's, I mean, all, yeah, I can. I miss that, but there, there was a lot to keep track of. But uh, uh, yeah,
1: he he good has point. good point. He he has speech writers He makes speeches. He's a politician, and that's fine. But when he says something to the effect of, you know, because life can can do you a curveball and knock you on your ass. Every everybody listens. Like it gets a little, It maybe it's just me, but it kind of seems like the room quiets down a little bit when he says that because they're not just words. Yes. He's in the club.
0: So when you're talking about taking the stand and what was happening on January 20th and and sort of like a pushback, and I'm just going to quickly say, looking, the optics here only, looking at Lady Gaga's apparel. And I didn't realize that her jacket was blue. It looked black from the screen I was looking at. So it looked like she's taking red, white, and blue back. She's going to let everybody own red, white, and blue. Nobody has a monopoly on that.
1: Well, I think that's totally fair. Yeah.
0: She's she's wearing it. She's clad in red, white, and blue. So there, don't rip it off of her body, folks. (laughs) So, because I think when I cover rallies and certain events, you know, it's sort of like, does somebody get to own the red, white, and blue in terms of this whole tribal culture sort of war thing going on? So that's one of the optics. For you then, was it for you more of a personal or a public exercise? I thought it was a particularly public exercise. I mean,
1: maybe not for the actual participants. And there there were some human moments, but given the level of security and whatever, everybody was afraid it wasn't going to go well. It just seemed... Very public. I'll be glad when more people know how to say Kamala. I don't think it's that hard.
0: The justice, I, she missed it.
1: Uh,
0: I was. That? I didn't.
1: I didn't want to call her out. I like her a great deal.
0: Right. It's just, come on. <laughs> As our president would say, come on, man. <laughs> well, maybe she was nervous too. I mean, you know, and you just sort of. She didn't say Kamala enough times right. walking from her office over to the Capitol building. That's exactly I don't know. right. That's exactly I mean, right. So that's personal, then, Adam. That's we've got to we've got to run a little accounting sheet here. Personal. Well, check, but is, it, is, it, is it personal
1: or is it public? Pronouncing people's names properly.
0: See, I have a go.
1: I have a dear friend Irma Herrera who would say that it's extremely political. Pronouncing a person's name right. Irma has a one-woman show called Why Would I Mispronounce My Own Name? Uh, <laughs> and, and gets into that subject matter on a very macro level. I don't even know. And I I forget who said the personal is political, but I, I wholly agree. And I'm not even sure a person can completely divorce the two and still be talking about the same thing.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. That's Kamala yes. took
1: it very well.
0: Oh she did well, she she said it, so you, she we heard her say it. yeah, so it was it's in there, but it was it was a pretty deft sort of comeback with that. And, and there so. are
1: real people in there now. I mean, Kamala is not a, a completely unknown quantity for Bay Area public sector attorneys, you know, this is this is where she came up. and um, you know she's a real person. I was introduced to her when she was running for district attorney. Her biggest supporters back then were other DAs, baby DAs, they called themselves. And Mm -hmm. her reputation was that if you were, you know, first, second year DA with your overwhelming caseload and you were, you know, there at six, seven o'clock freaking out about a hearing or a trial you had the next day and Kamala was leaving for the day because, you know, she had her stuff dialed in. If she saw your light on, she'd swing by her office and say, you know, what are you working on? And more than one person told me she would like take her coat off and drape it over your chair and sit down and just chop it up with you until you felt like you were going to be okay. And then she'd get up and go home. And she did that enough times that when she ran, that was best I could see. That was her base. Just people who were personally grateful to her for taking the time to help them when she didn't have to.
0: Okay. That goes a long way to talk about her support base that were unequivocal when there, there were people were trying to find the chinks and they were they were absolutely supporting. I'm mean, I, that's not adding to it. But
1: the, the so, best they could come up with is that she was too good at her job.
0: Yeah, yeah, that well, that's true. Well, or well, the DA, you know, the, D, the DA job titled during the criminal justice kinds of protests over the summer, those there was a collision course of, of those titles. So I, I under, we understand why. Well, let's, for those of you who just joined us, my guest on Digging Out today is attorney, author, Adam Smyre and his book that some of you may already have your own copy, Fresh Copies. You can keep that to yourself, a comprehensive list of what not to say to black people for well-intentioned people of power. And we're talking about the 59th presidential inauguration the debris, there was debris literally left around. I mean, there were a few shots of pictures taken where you could still see where some windows hadn't been totally repaired. So that Mm. there, there literally was debris. I'm beginning to not like my themes in this show for that. So I don't know, Adam, if you have something, some response to President Joseph Biden's own inaugural address, if you as a writer, You as a listener, as a citizen, as an activist, uh, as if there were features, I mean, there's classic speech writing features in there, but what did you hear take away? He walked the line that
1: he has been saying he was going to walk all along, perhaps with a slightly beefier stance on certain issues in light of what had happened in that spot two weeks earlier. You know, I think Joe sounds like a little league coach. And I love him for that. I don't want somebody who's going to get up and say something crazy. <laughs> I want somebody who's going to give a normal speech and, and maybe even a, a, an above average decent speech. Maybe, maybe, you know, a decent person giving a regular presidential speech that there was, there was something about how unremarkable it was. That was a bomb for me that was uh, a friend of mine described it like a lullaby. There was just something about a president getting up and giving a speech like a normal person that almost broke me. Like it just was- Earnest. It, it, it had been rational and predictable
0: and not evil. And you know, I think in his delivery, I think he was very conscious of that. I, I was thinking of the term carnage that mm. that when we heard that January 2017, we we knew. <laughs> so I, I think he was trying to be the little league coach to say, that mean coach we played last week, I we all heard what he said, and you're mm. never gonna hear those words from me.
1: Yes, yes. So to the extent that was a deliberate meta message, he definitely conveyed it. He didn't, he didn't have to give off fireworks. In fact, it's better that he didn't. And he's he, more of a visionary than I gave him credit for, because, you know, during the primary, I felt like we could do better. But it turns out we couldn't. I totally get that now. I think that he dropped the divide better than I did, maybe just for my own sanity. And that he's not having to pivot very much. He's nothing if not consistent. Okay. And I'm sure I sound... To some, probably, you know, unambitious, but I I feel unambitious as I uh, re- relax into, if, if worst case, we're back to where we were four years ago, worst case, and I, I think we're going to do better than that. But you know, wow, I had no confidence at any point prior to Wednesday, I, I didn't know whether we had hit bottom. We were just in free fall.
0: Right. I, I I know what you mean because I was girding for the assault rifles, and I'm not joking. I was girding for them to come out on November third. There were there was gonna be intimidation at the voting places, but it didn't happen. But I was off by a month, clearly. Oof. They were they were too busy planning uh, the next big the, the ne- they're busy planning. I don't know when they started planning, but so I, I I wondered when, all right, that we were all warned that this was gonna be a more and more dangerous presidency increasingly as the days wound down. I just kept, I wasn't sure how that, the last shoes were gonna drop. And I didn't even know, Adam, maybe you weren't, like I think you said up until Wednesday this last week, you didn't know whether there were more shoes dropping after January 6th. I think a lot of us were thinking like that.
1: Right. No, I, I I had no idea, but you're right. The sixth was planned and that's been, I've been really aware of that as the media habitually refers to it as a riot. I'm not a big fan of the term riot when it applies to peaceful demonstrations, but, com, you know, putting that label on a violent overthrow seems a little dismissive.
0: So it's an overstatement of one and understatement of the other. Yes, So that, yes. That, that's a bad blur job. That's, yeah. That's debris Put yeah. Yeah, I agree. I see that. So, but Joe Biden had probably a lot bigger committee putting this speech together than he did in those earlier addresses. So it's a, a formidable crew, a cadre that made sure they all they all looked over each other's shoulders with elements that had to come together, and they all thought, okay, now it's January seventh. We need to up the ante here. Yeah. In in metaphor. In range, in emotional impact to get everybody yeah.
1: through the I, day. I think they definitely took another pass, and then probably Dr. Jill took another pass, and then probably Joe took another pass. Because the amazing thing is, it all seems like his voice.
0: That's true. It did. It did. It, that it was very genuinely him addressing. It's not that same. You know, when
1: it's a completely different person because he's reading a teleprompter. It. It. It's not that with him. It was soothing in an unremarkable way for me, but I thought that that itself was kind of brilliant.
0: So then there were clergy. There was Leo Donovan, a Jesuit president of Georgetown University. And then there was Reverend Sylvester Beeman. He's a Methodist pastor of the Bethel AME. Their addresses were quite different. The convocation, the invocation. Here, I'm showing my, <laughs> my training. Is there anything about their deliveries their messages adam
1: the the benediction probably resonated more for me just culturally but i thought they did their job i enjoyed them you know i just kind of just let it wash over me i did i did watch and listen to the whole thing but i just took it in and and let my guard down as as the sniper's bullet didn't come and uh well done just as an event, well done. I do think that maybe they they could have firmed up the COVID procedures, the the protocols a little bit as the celebrities ran the gauntlet of other celebrities. <laughs> Did you see Garth Brooks just hug everybody?
0: Yeah, well, that's back to the uh, the giddy moment with President Biden that they they were just like this. They were all probably super pumped up, and it's yeah. just like it's like people in a bar in COVID. They all kind of they get kind of less smart. And they're just sort of, they're, they're awash in the moment. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not going to just walk by Barack Obama and not say anything either. You know,
0: it had to have been electric on that platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the religious deliveries, they were different than previous inaugurations where there others, there were more provocations, a more summoning from previous ones for for whatever kind of motivation behind them. And I'm thinking of Rick Warren. Do you remember when he was invited to one of the Obama inaugurations and he ran with his own Saddleback community themes? No, I'm not
1: From, savvy. I'm not aware that's of That's a this.
0: mega church right here in Orange County. And Rick Warren, got he got in the slot there. So anyway. Wow. So is there something you'd like to add to either what Reverend Beeman or... The Reverend Donovan had to say,
1: "No, other than I, I liked it. It didn't, it didn't jump out at me in a bad way, and I, I thought it was fine."
0: Okay, so where we're going next, Amanda Gorman was a suggestion. I think Joe Biden gets credit for that. Mm. The hill we climb. So I don't know when she put that title down. That she, she probably could have started out with that at the very beginning. I don't know, you said you're not yourself a, a writer of poetry. You're uh, It's nonfiction, other genres, or ma- it's mainly I, nonfiction.
1: Prose, I mean, you know, Knucklehead's a 100,000 word novel, so I, I, I'd have to, I, I wouldn't limit myself to non, but just prose. I'm a prosaic sort of person. I'm not a huge poetry fan. And unfortunately, I've heard people trying to critique her actual words and performance but much like the rest of the ceremony it wasn't really about that for me it was about that moment yes and it was about the idea of you know a 22 year old who has that on her resume now
0: the resume has her that's, on it i want to <laughs> put that I have the, she it's the resume gets to have her name oh i just yeah. so i mean it's the master class
1: i'm expecting to uh, hear good things from from that young woman. Off to a good
0: start. Well, she, and I think we have to hasten to say, she's been at this now, this is like six years she's been a writer, correct?
1: Oh, I don't know, but you know- At we, 16,
0: we sp- she was a it discovered and started moving into poems when uh, she was participating in some kind of a special kind of form in LA. She's from LA, you know.
1: That's nice. I uh I judged a youth poetry slam several a few years ago and didn't know what to expect and was really blown away by the level of talent and commitment and of course energy. They were already pretty far along and it was a it was a youth competition, so she might already be deep into her her career, you know.
0: All right, we're talking about your work in, is in prose, but. Is, is there something you want to say? When I review the printing out of her poem, The Hill We Climb, it's extraordinarily dense, Adam. It is. It's
1: another one I let wash over me and just appreciate lyrically some of what she was doing as it happened. I didn't study it. It's not really my thing. When I write, I'm striving for immediate clarity. And so that that's just not my orientation, but I I'm familiar with poetry. So I knew it was a good poem. You've, you've studied it though. It sounds like,
0: well, I've looked at it and I'm, I'm thinking of if we're going to say if it's an anatomical metaphor I get to use here speaking. She spoke from every corner of her mouth. It was a reassurance. Mm-hmm. It was an admonishment. It was called an action. It was a reminder. It was a, I mean, there, there, there was so much activation in the poem that, well, it's the hill we climb. That's a very active verb, climbing. And, you know, you
1: you mentioned earlier, people probably went a little bit back to the drawing board uh, yep, two weeks ago. Yeah, that was my understanding is that she was she was struggling with the piece and then that happened and hmm, she knew what she needed to do. So there's that, these are inspiring times.
0: So the creative process, this isn't meant to be a lazy journalistic question because it's, it's a real need to know question, Adam Smyre, is when you're writing about something like this for the moment, and it's a rather sizable audience, probably goes n- international, does it get to be traumatic to put these words down on your pages?
1: My delivery system is different. I can choose, for example, which excerpts to read right? So they're depending on, on the mood. But I think artists have to be vulnerable. I think that if you're not comfortable with vulnerability, the quality of the art will suffer, and that might apply to every art form. It's part of why I don't think much of some sort of technical takedown of this young woman the next day or the day after, because being vulnerable is a, a brave and strong thing to do. And taking shots doesn't diminish the vulnerable person. So I, that's why I just took the experience at face value and I, I enjoyed the magic of it. And uh, it's hard to get up in front of an audience of any size, let alone, I don't know,
0: a billion people and read from the heart. And so I, I took and respected it as that. So I, I think we're going to come back to this poem in different situations. And um, I, I will. I, it's going to stay out. And I guess I want to make it a reminder that why don't we all up our games? This is the, this is the digging out exercise. that we can, Why not allow ourselves to speak out of different corners out of our mouths at once? Oh, yeah. oh. There's work to get done here. So I am looking next at, you mentioned Jennifer Lopez a little bit. I mentioned Lady Gaga. Did you want to comment on how those songs washed over you?
1: Well, I loved the little bridge in Espanol with J-Lo. I don't, I don't know what she said, but it was one of those things that struck me as maybe having been inserted in the last two weeks. <laughs> there no, was something- no, it
0: was, it was the Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God. Interesting. Yeah, that's it was just the 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 Pledge of Allegiance in Spanish, that the last portion.
1: It was very nice. It it was and that's funny given what it is because it it had a defiant air, but maybe in in context it is defiant,
0: you know. Sure. One nation.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes, what a concept. Exactly.
0: Since I lined you up for this, there are a lot of people geeking out on Lady Gaga's the mixed measures, the mixed rhythms she's using, and what an amazing collaboration it was for a pop artist and a military band. Come on. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was, I, I enjoyed her performance. I'm not a huge fan, but she won me over in A Star Is Born, And yes, she brought it. I've heard a lot of commentary also about her outfit and her apparently what looked to be a Mockingjay pin kind of had a Hunger Games vibe.
0: So anything more about their, um, the, how they worked as a collection of performances, meaning deliveries of all of the individuals? Because we're just Adam Smire talking about the program there on the platform on the west side of the Capitol.
1: Well, I mean, it wasn't Kid Rock and Ted Nugent. Biden's been promising an experience that looks like the people it's supposed to represent. And so far, so good. I'm certainly going to be looking to see what he actually does, but I feel hopeful at the moment. I'm gonna let myself feel hopeful. So to the extent that, you know, each carefully designed element of that presentation correlates to some sort of policy down the line, then it was beautiful.
0: Well, from what I've learned about you and heard from you directly, you're not the easiest customer. And for you to be hopeful, I know it's not because your therapist told you that's a good coping. I, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm taking a whole new brochure from you that we've got something to work with and signs are looking, you know, respectably all right, right now. And on we go with this big democratic project.
1: Yeah. Forward, you know, why not? I, I find myself at the end of all that, not entirely demoralized. And that's a good thing. And I'm going to go with that.
0: Okay. Adam. Adam. Thank you. I really appreciate all the heft of your observation. And I feel much encouragement from how you're clearing this debris today with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you. My guest today was Adam Smyer. He's an attorney and he's a writer. And I want to remind you of his latest title, You Can Keep That To Yourself, a comprehensive list of what not to say to black people for well-intentioned people of power. And he was talking today about the 59th U.S. presidential inauguration. Thanks again, Adam. Thank you.